Welcome, everyone, to our first ever Rise and Flow podcast with your hosts, Ray Khan and Gabe Estrada. How you doing, everybody? And we are partners at Inflow Log Group, where we specialize in helping content creators and just creative entrepreneurs really get all their legal ducks in a row uh, to prevent any future issues happening, right? Yeah, the whole idea behind Inflow was basically to help creators navigate some of the rough legal seas out there that surrounds content creation or business ownership, right? A lot of creators are now, you know, branching off, starting their own e-commerce brand, getting a lot of deals, becoming models, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that's why we decided to, you know, start Inflow to really help you know, these creators. And obviously we're creators ourselves, right? So we are in a lot of the social media platforms, right? We're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and now we will be joining of the the podcast channels so that's exciting for us we've been working on this for for a little while to get this set up absolutely absolutely you know content creation is so important to starting your own business especially as a content creator you know that's in the name itself right but a lot of entrepreneurs don't really see themselves as, uh, as content creators but you know as a lawyer as a business owner it's very important to basically leverage social media to your advantage to help build yourself a community uh, an audience that allows you to one yes sell your services, sell your products, whatever it may be, but also connect with other individuals who might just be just like you or in a similar spot as you. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the key components of our law firm and kind of why we're so different is that we're really trying to focus on building a community, right? A community of just like-minded entrepreneurs and creatives that, you know, will basically get all of these, these extra benefits of just having a team of attorneys to kind of guide them along the way and it's been so amazing you know this journey I'm, you know I'm, again I'm, I'm so proud of, of what we've created with Inflow and you know it's it's kind of getting to the next step where we're trying to expand Inflow into the next level yes 100% and you know leads us into this podcast and the whole point of this podcast basically is to share the stories of other creators you know their journeys how they got started what they're up to and basically tease out some tips and tricks that we can share with our audience who might be aspiring entrepreneurs creators etc so yeah that's the whole point of this podcast to help basically encourage y'all to start that side hustle or Take that leap of faith and start that own business of yours that you've been thinking about for a while. So yeah, this first episode, we actually wanted to dive in and share one of our own personal stories, one that I thought was very basically influential to us starting this business, but that's our very own Gabe, who you know has been a business owner for a while now and is a content creator. So I'm gonna be interviewing him real quick just about how he got started, you know, owning being a tattoo shop owner, being a influencer on TikTok, YouTube, and all the above. So Gabe, get us, you know, why don't you just like introduce that side of your life? A lot of people know the attorney side of you, yeah. but share a little bit about, you know, basically a brief history on how you got to this point. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> it's, it's obviously a, a long story, right? But you know, I think it's, it's worth telling it. So I was actually born and raised in Mexico. I'm an immigrant. I came to this country when I was around eight years old and one of the biggest obstacles i think when i first came to the united states is, is i didn't speak english right mm -hmm. and the only english that i did speak was lines from star wars 
And that obviously Star Wars has been a huge influence in my life. Again, just because as a kid, that was really my first kind of introduction to American culture. And, you know, when I came to the United States, I I was trying to talk to my friends, right? But there was that language barrier and I couldn't. But the one thing we had in common was Star Wars, right? Mm -hmm. This was probably 1988, 89. So, you know, Star Wars, even though it had already passed, probably been five years since the last movie, it still was kind of resonating Mm -hmm. with with kids at that time. So, you know, we ended up playing Star Wars. And that's crazy because, you know, obviously Star Wars itself was a huge cultural supernova. But beyond that, for you, it was more so like a learning experience, right? It was just a a way for you to learn the English language. And it's pretty essential to your story, you know, basically your own American dream, I always call it. So Yeah. And, And the reason why I tell this is because so First and foremost, I think that's where I first learned the the importance of communication, right? And being able to to communicate with other people, sometimes without even using words, right? Because I I had to figure out a way to communicate, you know, just even just using expressions. And that's probably why, I mean, besides, you know, obviously Latino, like, you know, I'm very expressive with my hands, with my facial expressions. And I learned how to communicate sometimes without even using words. But... I think what was important about that is the the kind of immigrant experience that I had growing up because, you know, my, my parents, you know, they're on a single income. My dad was the only one working at the time. And, uh, you know, the, at first it was just me. But then, you know, my parents had my two sisters and then my two brothers. So then it got to the point where, you know, there was six of us, you know, living in this little one bedroom apartment. And, you know, obviously as the oldest, you know, child in this immigrant family, I kind of ended up taking a lot of responsibilities. And, you know, I, I I didn't have the same type of, I guess, upbringing as my, as my siblings, because at that point, you know, even though I was only, what, nine years old, 10 years old, my parents stopped spending money on things that weren't necessary, obviously, because yeah. we were living on this single income. So a lot of, you know, like I, I, my toys and stuff that I really wanted as a kid, I wasn't able to get them. So I started figuring out ways to do that. And I think that's where, you know, the, the spirit, the entrepreneurial spirit kind of really developed in me. Mm-hmm. Because what I ended up starting to do is I discovered this local toy shop called Time Tunnel. And I was in San Jose, California. And there's this little toy shop called Time Tunnel. And again, I remember specifically, I was maybe 10 years old, and I remember going to Time Tunnel and just looking at all these Star Wars toys, and they're vintage by that time, you know, antique toys. And I was just in awe, and I wanted them all, but I couldn't afford them. And obviously my parents weren't able to to buy them for me. So what I figured out is that there was a thrift store, maybe about two blocks away from this, this little antique shop. So I'd go to the thrift store and I'd find like a dollar, right? I'd mm-hmm. go through the couches or ask my mom, can I have a dollar or just figure out how to get a dollar. And I'd go to this thrift store and I'd look for these little baggies of like loose toys, right? That people would donate. And what I quickly realized is that I could buy those toys because I knew what to look for, right? I was already into collecting. I already knew kind of what was good and what was not, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy at, at Time Tunnel, his name was Joe, he would teach me about things. He would say, hey, look, if you ever see a Pez with a, a squishy head, those are the ones that are worth some money. But if it has a hard head, don't get it. 
So I went through wow. the thrift stores and I would find these things and I would go back and resell it to them or upsell them to them. So he would say, I will trade you this Pez dispenser or whatever for whatever Star Wars toy you want. And I would get the next Star Wars toy and I would always kind of trade up until I finally got what I wanted. Wow. Wow. So Gary V would be proud because you were just out there flipping these Pez dispensers and, you know, just making a profit off of that. You know, that's crazy because, you know, like, you know, Gary V always preaches about, you know, how he made his come up by going to garage, garage sales and basically, you know, finding, going on eBay and seeing what like a random trinket at a garage sale is selling for, buy a bunch of them and then go and flip them on eBay, maybe make a less than a buck on each sale. But it adds up over time. And this is funny how you were, you know, how old were you when this I was, was probably like 10 years old. Wow. 10, okay. 11. So yeah, that entrepreneurial spirit just came at a young age for you. So it was kind of already ingrained in you at an early age. And I think it was, again, it came out of almost necessity. Right. And, and look, I don't want to say that, you know, my parents did everything they could to, to keep a roof over our heads and food on the table. But again, it was these little things that I always wanted these toys. And like, you know, I remember when home alone came out and remember the little talk boys, Remember, it was like, so Home Alone Part 2, I think it was. They came out with these little recording machines, right? These little, yeah. they're called Talk Boys. And I wanted one so bad. And I remember it was like something like $50 or $60. And at that time, obviously, I, I knew that was impossible unless it was like for Christmas or for my birthday. But I wanted it so bad. And what I did is that there's this kid in my school who kind of he was known as kind of the kid who had some money right mm -hmm. and because uh, i went to actually a very like low income it was a low income neighborhood and this kid i figured that i was like okay how can i get how what can i sell to this kid to get you know money for my talk boy and what i discovered is that the neighborhood kids funny enough like they would go and i guess maybe take like you know, Playboys and, and, you know, magazines like that from their parents or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then we would all stash them in this garage. So what I ended up doing, I would sell him these Playboys at $20 a pop and he would buy them for me. And so I think I ended up selling, I think like three of them to him and I bought that talk boy. So again, I, it was, you know, it's kind of funny not thinking about it, mm -hmm. I, you know, that kind of just flashed back right now, but yeah, I always, always had that spirit. Right? Yeah, that, I, that, that child know. hustler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so going forward, obviously, you know, I, you know, didn't do very well in in like middle school and high school. You know, I was kind of following the the you know the wrong path. You know, and sometimes a lot of immigrant families too. You know, when you don't have a role model specifically showing you, mm -hmm. you know, especially like the the, the you know, towards education it's hard to really go that route, right? So, you know, in high school, I got pretty much all D's and F's, right? I was just not worried about that. I was worried about partying and hanging out with girls and whatnot. So I, I never thought college was gonna be kind of in my yeah. future. Mm -hmm. Never thought about that ever. And- So you graduate high school and do you, you don't go to college right away. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I signed up at community college, but again, it was one of those situations where I started, I was working already full time, you know, to help my family out. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't have the time. And honestly, just, I didn't really care for it. Yeah. You know? and, what, and what was that first job out of, out of high school? So right out of high school, I actually worked at a movie theater. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I quickly learned kind of the, just the retail side. And I became a manager actually pretty quick. 
And maybe it was the way, you know, I was able to, to communicate with people and communicate with the employees too, because they, they liked my approach, right? I wasn't one of those like, Hey, you got to do so. You know, I, I figured out ways to incentivize them to, to do well. Yeah. Going back to that communications. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I was, you know, I was at a movie theater for a little while and then I was probably around 1920 when my girlfriend got pregnant at that time. And, uh, you know, that's my, my daughter was born shortly after. And that was life changing for me because now it was no longer I had to work to, you know, to, you know, provide yes for, for whatever things that I wanted. Mm-hmm. But now it kind of shifted where I had to work to provide for my daughter. Right? Yeah. And that was pressure's on. Yeah. And that was that was huge for me. Right. And it also incentivized me to do well. And so my next job after that was at Best Buy. And I started working at Best Buy, I guess it would have been 2003. And similar situation, I quickly became a manager and I became a sales manager mm-hmm. because I, I had a knack for, for selling, mm-hmm. right? I, I was just good at it. I was, and again, it goes back to the communication aspect of it, right? I was able to talk to clients in a way where, you know, first I wasn't talking down to them. I was able to communicate in a way where, you know, I, I could show them how the things they were buying were going to help them, whatever, achieve whatever they were trying to go for, right? So yeah. their lifestyle goals, right? Mm-hmm. So I did really well there and I was there for 11 years. Wow. 11 years at Best Buy. So I thought that was going to be my career. I was mm-hmm. moving up in the company. You know, I became, like I said, a, a sales manager. I was on salary. You know, I was making six digits, you know, with the bonuses and all that stuff. So I was happy. You know, I was I was making money. You know, I was able to buy my kid whatever she wanted and, and everything. And and then everything kind of changed. Yeah. Yes. Tell me about this, this change that occurred, right? Yeah. You, you, you know, you eventually, you know, flash forward, you're a business owner now, but how did you, you know, what was the business? How did you even consider becoming a business owner at that point? You have a kid, you are, you know, working a full-time job. How did you take that leap? So there's even another step even before the business step, (laughs) because what ended up happening, the biggest change in my life, you know, by then I was already, you know, separated from, you know, from my baby's mom and, you know, raising, you know, we were sharing custody of, of my daughter yeah. and I met my now wife. And that was, that was a crucial point, I think, in my life and a big changing point because she was in college already and okay. she was going to the University of California, Santa Barbara. I was in San Diego. I met her during one of her summer breaks. And that was a huge changing point because it opened up my eyes, first of all, to education. I kind of never been introduced to someone who had gone to a, a you know, a good four-year university, yeah. which is kind of strange to think about it now. But I really, I, I didn't have any friends or any, you know, any people that were on that path that I could, you know, at least copy you know yeah. until i met my my now wife back then you know we're we started dating and we had a long distance relationship and she she denies this left and right but <laughs> i you know and she she hates when i tell this story but <laughs> i i think one day we were you know we we're arguing because you know it's a long distance relationship it was hard you know i was in san diego she was in in santa barbara and we we're arguing and 
the conversation kind of went into something along the lines like, well, you wouldn't understand. You didn't go to college. And she said that to oh, me. Oh, and, and that cut deep, right? Yeah. It, it cut deep because it, it just made it made me feel like, yeah, I mean, and, and even my response that I was like, whatever, college is trash. I don't need it. Even if I went, I'd get straight A's and I'd rip up the diploma because I'm making six figures at Best Buy. I don't need a college degree. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my mentality then. But deep down inside it, it really, it really did kind of affect my ego. And so what I started doing, and this is kind of where the whole change happened, is that on my two days off from Best Buy, I started going to community college. And, you know, I took the first semester and I got straight A's. And then I only took, I think, maybe two classes. Mm-hmm. And I got A's and I was like, whoa, this was a lot easier than I remember. And so I was like, well, I might as well just follow, you know, take the second class of, of the class. I think it was yeah. an African-American study class. I think it was the first one. And I was so inspired by history, right? Learning about history that I wanted to take the second part. And then so I was like, and I got straight A's that second semester. So I was like, whoa, what the heck is going on? So then I went to summer school and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take now another history class. And I just started taking all these history classes. And then all of a sudden I realized that I was you know, gathering up some good credits. So I went to my counselor and she said, you know what, you're able to transfer to a four-year university probably in about a year, you know, or so. I was like, that's great. I would love to do that. So, so I did. And I focused and on my two days off, I went to school at a community college full time. So I would schedule, because I was a manager, I was able to schedule my days off to match up, you know, Mm -hmm. my, my two days at school. And I did that. And I eventually applied to UC San Diego and I got in. And another big shift happened then because as I got accepted to UC San Diego, my wife got accepted to law school and she got accepted to law school in LA. Okay. So again, we had long already been again, yeah. long distance. We had already, you know, she came back home for, for a little bit and then now she's going to about to go long distance again. And I was like, I can't, I I don't want that. So I decided to move up to LA with her and, you know, kind of follow her. Yeah. And commute down to UCSD. And what I did is that I transferred to another Best Buy up there. And again, because I was a manager, I was able to control my schedule. I would schedule myself off Mondays and Wednesdays or Tuesdays and Thursdays, depending on the quarter. And yeah, I would wake up at three in the morning, get ready, drive down to San Diego spent all day on the campus, you know, like just going to all my classes, you know, it was like 9 p.m. drive back to L.A. The next day I'd have to go to work, right? Because it was like, you know, I had to split them in either Monday or Wednesday, go to work and then do it again the following day. Wow. So you can imagine how difficult that was also because I was working 50 hour. I was I was a salary manager. So even just to study right for exams, to do the homework, to do the reading, I would have to do it on my time off. So it was, yeah, it, it was, it was hard, but I got so used to just always hustling and always just doing something right. And mm-hmm. for what over four years, I literally did not have a day off. 
because I went to school, summer school. I went, you know, I because I wanted to get it yeah. done. Yeah, getting done, like working on your homework all on your days off. Right. Like, yeah. That's great. And going to classes on a full day, like, right. you know, Tuesdays, was Tuesdays and Thursdays? Tuesdays and Thursdays or wow. Monday, Wednesday. Yeah. yeah, wow. So, like, I was, like, taking, in my college experience, I was taking, like, two classes a day and then like taking a nap for the rest of the day. So <laughs> yeah. there's a huge difference there. Yeah. And you got to remember on those two days also, because my daughter was still here in San Diego, I had to also, you know, because I was down here, I would go and visit her or like, yeah. you know, I'd bring her on campus mm -hmm. with me and she'd go to classes with me. Just juggling so, a lot of roles. Right. Yeah. So I could spend time with her as that transition was happening. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So, but, I did it and I got my bachelor's degree and it was probably one of the most you know proudest moments because my daughter got to see it my daughter by then was probably maybe like six seven years old so she I mean she was old enough to kind of appreciate the fact that hey look here's my dad graduating right and you know it, it's it's really cool because my daughter's now 19 and she actually goes to UC San Diego to kind of follow in my footsteps yeah. so again the power of, of seeing the path is is very important, I mm -hmm. think, for just Absolutely. generational change, right? Yeah, yeah, especially just going like you know, going back to your, your high school career and just like you know, yeah. thinking like college is never for you, and then one day your girlfriend's like, Oh, you never understand, right? And then it becomes something personal, yeah. and then you go and you, you take that, you take that step, you just put it into action, and you realize it's not as scary as you might have thought it was, right? right? Despite you know, whatever your past may be, yeah. But you know, there is just like a lot of uncertainty, it's a mystery, right? You don't know what that college experience is going to look like. You don't know what that, you know, that job is going to look like, but you know, you just started it right? and you know, lo and behold, you graduate four years later and you're on to the next thing. Right. So now I got my bachelor's degree, right? Now what? Right. I mean, I'm still at Best Buy. I'm still making six figures at Best Buy. Like mm -hmm. there's just no way I could just leave. Right. Yeah. And you know, I have this bachelor's in history. What do I do with that? Do I become a teacher? You know, do I, you know, I, I just, I really didn't know at that point. Again, I was like, yeah, it, it's kind of, now I have a pointless degree. Like, what am I going to do? And so I told my wife, I was like, and by then she was finishing up law school. And I was like, well, maybe I'll apply to law school. You know, maybe I'll, I'll do that. And she was like, no, do not do that. You're going to hate it. You know, it, that's, that's not your style. Like you're, you know, you're, you don't like that kind of stuff and you're just not going to like it. And I was like, yeah, but you know, you did it. Let me at least take the LSAT, you know, let me take the LSAT. So I took the LSAT and I didn't do very well. Yeah. Right. I didn't take it seriously. I didn't really study. I did take a little class to help me out with it. I didn't do very well. So, you know, after I took the LSAT, I got my score back and I was like, ah, I guess law school is just not in the books for me. You know, I'm not, mm. that's, that's not going to be, it's not in the cards. Yeah. Right. And for our listeners, the LSAT's the law school admissions test. Right. Basically it's mainly logic based. I don't know if you ever know anyone who's taken the LSAT before, but there are, there's a section on reading comprehension, very similar to the ACT and SAT. And then there's these logic portions, right? Where no. there's a whole section on what's called logic games. And totally bullshit, but it's basically, it's ridiculous questions. I remember completely skipping those sections on my LSAT and just like not having put it up with it because yeah. it's a little ridiculous, but uh, yeah, just, just wanted to paint that picture for our viewers. Yeah. And timing and everything. So yeah, it, it's definitely a process and you have to treat it like a full-time job in mm -hmm. order to, to do well. Right. I mean, and of course, like there's some people that are just naturally just like smart at that kind of stuff, but it's almost mathematical. Right. And oh, absolutely. it yeah. just, you know, 
it, it just wasn't something that I could just naturally do, you know, without actually practicing and studying. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I, yeah, I took the LSAT, didn't do well. So then I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go to law school. What now? Right? Like, what do I do? I have this degree. And my wife, you know, I, by then she was my fiance. She said, well, why don't you open up a business? That's something that you've always wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll open up a business, right? Yeah. And uh, so I first I was like, I have no money. How am I going to open up a business? You know, I, there's just no way. Like, I need capital to, to open it up. And by then, like I said, she was my fiance. So we were planning on getting married. And one day I went into a bank, you know, thinking, okay, I could get a loan for, you know, for the wedding and all that stuff, right? Because we we're trying to figure out how to how to pay for everything. My wife had just started working. I believe she she had already passed the bar. She just started working. So, you know, I, I was like, you know, we need to figure out a way to pay for this wedding. So I went to a bank and I went to see if they had loans for that, mm-hmm. right? Like personal loans. And they said, well, not necessarily for weddings, but you know, you could get a, a loan with some type of collateral, right? So if you have like a car, do you own your own car? I was like, actually I do because luckily when I was in law, I mean, when I was in, in college, I ended up getting a pretty big scholarship when I went to UCSD and you know, they kept on offering me the loan, you know, the student loans. And I ended up taking one of the student loans to kind of just pay off some of my debt to just make it easier. And, and part of that debt was my car. So I yeah. own my car. I own this 2005 Mustang, red with white stripes, you know, it's like a little race car looking car. And uh, so I was like, oh, well, how much will you give me for, you know, how much will you loan me for this car and yeah. collateral? And they're like, well, we can give you $10,000 and then we could open up a $4,000 line of credit. I was like, okay, so $14,000. I don't know how much we can really do for the wedding for that. I mean, it's not that much. So I walked out and I was like, okay, cool. Well, at least I know that there's, there's that money. And I started kicking, you know, ideas around. I'm like, well, maybe I should open up a business, right? Maybe like a little skate shop or a little record store, something really cool because, and again, I didn't get into this because I'm literally like a, like a cat with like nine lives. But I used to be, Seriously. I used to be in a band and I, I sang and I played guitar in a band for a while. So, you know, I, I, I met a lot of musicians and a lot of people just in, in just artists, right? And obviously the tattoo industry, you know, there's, there's a very close, you know, community with, with the music scene a lot of time. Yeah. So, you know, I was going to open up a little skate shop with, you know, record store and something cool. Yeah. Something cool. <laughs> right. Something I've, by then I was, I was already all tatted up and, and all that. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, I had big old plugs too. Like my ears were stretched out to like almost an inch. Like, yeah. yeah I'll have to show pictures of that. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll have to include that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, so I, I was like, okay, I'm going to open up this little small business here. And we visited my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law he owns a lighting company up in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know what, Gabe? Like, if you're going to open up a business, stay away from retail. And yeah. the reason why you want to stay away from retail is because it's almost impossible to compete with the Amazons these days with online retailers. Yeah. And this, what year was this? This was 2000 and... Oh, so we're on our 10-year anniversary. Okay. So... 2011, 2000. 2000, yeah. Right. Around that time, early 2010s, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, yeah. yeah. So Amazon's like 
just oh. kicking off. Right? Oh, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like Amazon's the, there. the glory days of Prime when everyone was just like, oh, my God, two-day shipping and things like that. Right. Yeah, 2012. It had to have been 2012 because we're, we're going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary next month. Yeah, so obviously retail, very risky. You know, online retailers in general, Shopify right. is a couple years away, you know, so. Yeah. So then what I decided, I was like, okay. And he told me, focus on services. You know, what kind of service can you provide? Because online vendors can't compete with services because it's something that you have to perform, right? So I was like, all right, great. Well, what's a cool service, right? What's a really cool service that I could provide? And I was like, well, maybe music lessons. I was like, eh, I don't want to do that. That's like too much. Like, And then I was like, wait a second, tattoos. You know, tattoos is a, is, is a service industry, mm-hmm. but I don't know the first thing about tattoos and I don't know how those businesses work. But let me call my buddy who did my sleeve and let me ask him. So I took him out to lunch and I was like, hey, man, like, tell me, you know, what's up with the, the industry? Like, how does it work? Do you pay them rent? Do you pay them commission? Do you pay the owner? Like, yeah. trying to figure that Get out. Get some basic information about the business of tattooing, which you had no idea about other than just being a customer, right? Correct. <laughs> so he kind of breaks it down and, you know, explains the model, right? And basically, you know, it's kind of like barbershops where, you know, they're chair rentals, mm-hmm. right? You, yeah. you rent them out to, to the artist. They have their own license. They're supposed to have their own insurance. They're, you know, they're basically they're independent contractors. They're supposed to be kind of on their own and you're just renting them the space. So I was like, that sounds great. Yeah. I think I'm going to do that. So then, you know, I went back to that bank and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take you up on those $14,000 Yeah, 10,000 and then 4,000 in credit. Let's do it. So I took out the loan again. Keep in mind, I don't know anything about even just starting a business. Yeah. I literally had to Google how to start a business. <laughs> yeah. It was and, like LLC wasn't like a, a popular term back then. Or if it was, it was just like, it was very ambiguous. Right. And I actually found this guide and I, I don't even, I think I might even still have it saved on my tabs <laughs> because it was like, first, you know, figure out what type of entity you're going to be. Next, open up a bank account. Mm-hmm. Next, you know, look for the location. Very simple, basic, you know, startup, you know, terms. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me start up my LLC. So I went and I did what a lot of, you know, our clients end up doing. And I, I made that mistake as well. I made my LLC through LegalZoom. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I, I did that, you know, because the, at the that now point, arch nemesis. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> because at that point, I mean, that was kind of the cheapest route to go about. Mm-hmm. But again, all these pitfalls that I ended up in later, which we'll probably save for another episode because we'll, we I could talk all day about that. Yeah. But yeah, so I started my LLC. I got that and I was like, all right, what is next? What's the next step? So the next step is according to this online, you know, thing, you know, bank account. Boom. I already had the bank account because I took the loan out from the same place. Great. I was like, okay, now I need a retail space. So I go and I start checking all these retail space. And unfortunately, you know, with the tattoo industry, especially, you know, 2012, you know, early to that mid 2000s, tattoo industry was still frowned upon. Yeah. And a lot of a little bit more of like a, you know, what are they, what is that called? Like a taboo industry, right? It was, like taboo it was, service. right? It was kind of associated with bikers and gang members. And, you know, yeah, it was starting to gain popularity with like Ink Masters, right? Yeah. That's around the time that mm-hmm. it started popping up. Like the shows, like, I don't remember what other, there was 
that other one with like Kat Von D and like, you know, the, yeah. those shows started popping up. So it started popularizing them. So I started going through all these places and every single one was like, no, we don't want that type of clientele hanging out. We, we don't want a tattoo shop. We don't want a tattoo yeah, shop. Yeah, you're, you're saying the landlords were saying that. The landlords, like, right. right. Mm -hmm. So then finally I went to a mall. And I was like, why couldn't I open it up at a mall? Mm -hmm. So I, you know, submitted the application and I got a call back from this local mall. And it's a, it was a big mall at that time. And uh, they're like, sure, we'll rent you out a space for a tattoo shop. And I was like, great. You're like, stoked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like super stoked about it. And I they're was like, like, come on down, sign the lease. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I literally like on my, keep in mind, I'm still working at Best Buy. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm doing this on my two days off. I'm still going, you know, to open up my business on my two days off. <laughs> so I go to the the mall, and immediately they're like, "All right, you know, the minimum we could do is a two year lease." And I, and I was so excited. I was just like, "Let's just do it. Let's sign it." I had these fourteen thousand dollars. I was like, "Let's do it." I paid the first month and the last month's rent. I got my lease, and I'm like, "All right, let me check that off." You know, check that off the list. Yeah. I got my LLC. I got my retail location. What's next? You're flying high. I'm like, yeah. I'm stoked. I'm like, I'm on my way. Then I go and I'm like, I need a business license. All right, let me go check the business license. So I go to the local, you know, municipal, you know, county or municipal place <laughs> yeah. to, to get my license. And they're like, oh, well, you need to go check with zoning first because oh, yeah. you need to Absolutely. be zoned properly. I was like, all right, no problem. I'm, I mean, what can possibly go wrong? I go to zoning and they're like, what kind of business is it? A tattoo shop? Oh, it's adult entertainment. And if it's adult entertainment, you're going to have to get a conditional use permit because it's, you know, there's a couple of schools around those, you know, around the neighborhood. The area, right, the neighborhood. Yeah. It's not zoned properly for that. Right. So yeah, get this conditional use permit and we'll have a separate hearing and process for this exemption basically. Right. And I was like, oh, all right. I don't know what, it, what, it, what that is, mm -hmm. but. I'll do it, whatever, you know. <laughs> and as I'm going through the process, I realize that the application alone is $3,000, you know, and it's a six-month-long process. And I was like, wait a second. By the time six months comes around, I'm paying rent right now. Yeah, you already signed the lease. I already signed the lease. I'm paying rent. I'm going to be done with the $14,000 in six months. I, I, that can't happen. Like, I need to, I need to get it open faster. So I kept on kind of just going back and, and trying to do everything as they told me. Yeah. One of the things they required was blueprints. And I'm like, okay, the, the blueprints, let's do this. So I asked them all, hey, do you guys have blueprints? They're like, no, you have to you have to hire an architect and get those blueprints printed out yourself or done yourself. I was like, I can't afford that. Like I yeah. can't afford an architect to come and do the blueprints. So what I did is I asked them for their general blueprints for the mall. I took those. I put them in Photoshop and I did the blueprints myself. I literally just went and grabbed little lines here and there. I measured, you know, with the tape measure, I literally went into the space, <laughs> started measuring the spaces that were going to be blocked off. And I literally created them myself. Yeah. Just your own architecture services. Talk right? about, you right. Talk about bootstrapping, right? Yeah. I literally did the architectural plans myself. Wild. Yeah. I, I go and I submit them. And when I submit them, there's kind of almost like there's an argument between me and, and the guy who was assigned to my 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 zoning case because he told me that he needed the full size blueprints like the big gigantic ones so i ended up spending like i think it was like three four hundred dollars just to print those things on that size and when i turn them in he's like 
super rude. He's like, why did you do this? You needed to bring them in in a smaller, you know, way for us to. And I was like, you didn't tell me that. You said you needed full size blueprints. And that's what I brought you. So I left out of there just super mad. Yeah. And I was like, this guy is super rude to me every day. And I was like, maybe, maybe it's the fact that I look younger, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, you know, I'm 41 now. And a lot of people get surprised that I'm pretty well. Yeah. I look younger and I'm all tatted up, you know. So, you know, you could see my tattoos. And I was like, you know what? Forget this guy. So I emailed the, the elected representative and the manager who's like in charge yeah. of zoning. And I, you know, pretty much just laid it all out. I said, hey, look, I could go to another city and open up this tattoo shop and none of this would be required but you guys are giving me such a hard time i'm local here i want to contribute to my you know my community and yeah. business and i'm going to be paying business taxes i'd rather right. be paying business taxes to my locality where right. i live in my community right so right and keep oh and keep in mind too i had gone to the the chamber of commerce the local chamber of commerce and the this old guy was like you're gonna fail you're gonna be bankrupt wow, in a yeah. year you're going to chamber of commerce to get some advice on, on starting your business right and then yeah. you're just hearing <laughs> you're yeah. just like you're the most gonna fail negativity this is the worst thing you don't even have a business plan you don't even know what you're doing and i mean he was right in a sense but i was just like i don't want to hear that like where's the entrepreneurial spirit that I? yeah I where's I the positivity behind yeah. this yeah yeah so anyways i you know get to to that and i send that email and the next day the elected representative calls me and he's like i'm so sorry mr strada like let's come come on in and i was like well i'm i'm working so it has to be on my neck you know literally the next day out come on in and we'll kind of expedite the process so went through i got my conditional use permit and wow I was, yeah and, that, and maybe it was like three months in so i was like okay in just that get it done yeah by and any means necessary right <laughs> any means necessary by then i had already like i painted the whole shop myself i did all the furniture myself i literally carried like you know, I, I grabbed my buddy that had a truck and was like, hey, man, I need to buy these display, you know, units. Can you help me? And at that time, he had a broken foot, I think. So I, I was just like, all I need you to do is drive. I, I'll do I'll do everything. And I on my own, I went and got all the shelving and all this stuff, ordered the seats, ordered the, the furniture, the, yeah, the, the decorations. Yeah. Yep. So keep in mind, I started this process in about April. So now we're in about July-ish, right? And mm -hmm. I got my conditional use permit. I'm like, great, I'm ready to go. What's the next step, right? And then, well, it's probably around August. The next step, health department. Oh yeah. Because I had approvals. no idea about the tattoo industry, I just, for some reason, and it wasn't in that list that I found online, right? Yeah, because that's a general list, right? It was just a general <laughs> list, right? I was like, shoot, I have to get approved by the health department before I could even open, right? So that was just a nightmare because if anybody that has any experience with like opening up a restaurant and things like that, they're, you know, it's very, very hard. You know, there's a lot of things that need to be in place for you to, to get approved and get your, your, your permit, your health permit. So he made me pretty much, oh, and I had to resubmit the blueprints and all that stuff. He made me redo those blueprints probably like three times. Wow. And with redoing those blueprints, it was also redoing the shop, right? Yeah. Because I had to move stuff around. He was like, you need to have hot running water in like 
all the sinks, which again, keep in mind, this is a mall, so they didn't have hot water in the, you know, in the, the sinks. And you need to have this other sink in the front because there needs to be like a certain amount of feet between the nearest sink and the artist. So I was like, okay, I did it all. I yeah. was doing it and everything. So I didn't get my, the, my health department permit probably around until about September, like late September, early October. Keep in mind, I'm paying rent, but yeah. this you haven't time, even opened for business yet. Not even open paying. for business. I'm working off these fourteen thousand dollars. I'm literally down to like the very last of that money. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, check, 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 check. I got my license. I think we're we're ready to go. Like, yeah, you know, I got my insurance, right? I got I got insurance for it. That was also a nightmare because you needed to have special like like exposure insurance because yeah. of the bloodborne pathogens and stuff. Mm -hmm. So got my insurance, got everything. I hit up my buddy and I'm like, all right, we're ready to open up. When can you start? And then he tells me, sorry, bro. Like I can't, I can't do it. I can't oh, go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's like, I just had my daughter and I have to stay at the place that I'm at. Cause it's, you know, steady income and yeah. you, you know, it's a risk going with you. It's like, I got it. I get it. Right. It's a brand new business. I don't know anything about tattoos. I have no artists. So, so here what do you I do? Am. So here I am, October, right, with no artists, no money you need, a, you need to start soon because, yeah, yeah. paying rent. Right. Rent's going to be due. You have the loans run out. <laughs> yeah, and, and I have to pay back that loan. Yeah. So it's not, now I have this extra cost, right, because yeah. now I'm, I'm paying back the loan. Yeah, you have rent, you have the loan money. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I was panicking. So I just was like, you know what? If, can you send me someone that you know? He sent me this one guy that he knew, but I basically put an ad on Craigslist. It's like looking for a tattoo artist. And so lucky that, you know, I had a few people hit me up and I was just like, you're hired, you're hired, you're hired. Let's go. Right. And we started and, you know, I was lucky enough that again, I was still working at Best Buy. So I couldn't be there all the time, but luckily, you know, my wife helped me out and she, you know, she set up all the processes and all the like forms. And again, I think at that time, maybe she was waiting for her bar results. I want to say at that time, I don't remember, maybe she was already an attorney. No, I don't think she was an attorney. Okay. I think she was waiting for her bar results. Yeah. They come out in November. So right. that's about right. So yeah. it, it sounds like around the, the time, but still she helped me with all the, the setup, make sure everything was cool. And I get the three artists and we grand open. I want to say it was November 10th, November 10th. We opened and I think and that was a soft opening. And then a week later we did the hard opening. And I said, if we don't make rent literally this month, that's it. Like I'm going to already have to close it down. Yeah. There's no way I could afford the rent and all that with my salary at Best Buy while also paying, you know, for our apartment and all that stuff. So uh, luckily it, we made rent. It all worked out. It, we made rent that month and then we made rent the next month. And you know, obviously there's, there's some struggles throughout, you know, there's some months where I didn't, where I had to put in with, with my best buy paycheck, you know, to yeah. cover the rent. It takes but, time, it takes time for that business to basically, you know, build up, right? We always talk about did. like the first, first six months is always rough. You don't know yeah. if you're gonna make any money. You don't know if you're gonna make enough money. Yeah. So yeah, usually there is like a kind of like a buffer time, right? right? So, right. so it worked. And you know, one of the, the, the biggest drivers for me was almost to prove that old guy at the city of commerce wrong. I mean, that's city of commerce, the chamber the, of commerce. Yeah. 
I wanted to prove them wrong, right? And that was, to me, that was huge. And I think it was kind of similar to, to with, with my wife, right? When my wife told me, you know, oh, you didn't go to college. It was like, I needed to prove her wrong. Like I needed to show her. So yeah, I, like, I, don't doubt me kind yeah. of energy, right? And I think that's kind of, I, I figured that out about myself, that I'm best driven when I'm challenged or when I'm told that I can't do something, which is, I mean, it's, it's a great thing to know about yourself, right? Because now I know what drives me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, just based off our own clients, right? Like I feel a lot of people are in that situation. I mean, even me, even me personally, right? It's like, don't, don't tell me I can't do it because it's going to make me want to do it. It won't make me want to prove you wrong. Right. And I think a lot of clients who kind of ended up starting their own business, we were in the same situation, right? They, they had these bosses that, you know, kind of felt like, oh yeah, like you want to go, you know, you want to leave and do something on your own. Like, yeah, good luck with that. You're gonna you know, oh, don't forget like businesses, you know, 90% of businesses fail within the first two years or something like that, right? Some, some statistic, which sometimes is definitely true, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not gonna be that statistic. Right. You know, I, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm good at, and I can do this better, right? right. Whatever it may be, yeah. you know, we see that across the board. And, and, and I think it's also changed, uh, one of the things that, and I think with Inflow that, that we've done, that I think, and I think why this, you know, success comes with that, is when you really focus on, on really changing the industry. Because again, look, with the tattoo business, if you're not a tattoo artist, and you own a tattoo shop, it's frowned upon, right? It's yeah. frowned upon that. And I, I had a lot of trouble finding good tattoo artists to work for me because they're like, you're not a tattoo artist. You shouldn't be doing that. That's number one. Number two, we were at a mall. Yeah. And keep in mind, like even that, right? It, it almost, and I, I was told multiple times by multiple tattoo artists that it you lose credibility. Because yeah, you're it's not almost, a real tattoo shop, right? right? You're at a you're, mall. <laughs> you're selling out and mm -hmm. it's like, just like, you're trying to commercialize their art and their, you know, which is true. Like I get it. It's that, you know, art form is very, you know, old school. Has a history. Has a history. Mm -hmm. It's very like apprentice style, you know, old school way of doing things. And here I come saying, I'm going to put this in a mall and I'm going to, you know, cater to everybody, not just kind of the, these tough people that you went with, with tattoos. And in fact, I think why we were so successful is because we were in between a nail salon and a hair salon. So it ended up 90% of our clientele ended up being first time tattoos on female clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think because it was at a mall and I, I designed it so open and so inviting, big giant windows, you know, I really emphasize customer service with my with my artists because I, I told them, look, I've been to a lot of tattoo shops and the one thing is they're intimidating, right? Because you yeah. show up and you yeah. see this guy all tatted up, neck, to, you know, face. And then sometimes they're just, without a better word, they're assholes, right? Yeah. They're like, I'm not going to do that little butterfly. Get out of here. Or, I'm not going to do that little infinity symbol or whatever, you know? Mm. And we took a different approach and we said, look, there's a... There's a gap in services for, you know, people that it's their first time getting a tattoo. Yeah. And we want to make it as inviting as possible, make it as kind of comfortable as possible. Yeah, open up the clientele, basically. Right. right. And sure enough, it, it did well. And again, it's our 10-year anniversary is, is coming up next month. So, you know, it it's... It's I'm, yeah, I'm 10 years in business. Take that chamber of commerce guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's how I became, you know, a business owner. And that's, you know, basically. And 
ultimately what ended up happening because I was still at Best Buy, you know, there's a big change. There's a big structure, a restructure that happened at Best Buy. And a little bit before then, about a, maybe a month before that restructure, I got a free, I mean, an email for a, a fee waiver application for our law school. And they sent an email and usually it's like spam. When you apply for law schools like or for yeah. LSAT, you, you get a bunch of spam stuff. But that one was local in San Diego. And I was like, look, I already took the LSAT. I have everything ready to go. You know, I, I think this is a good a good time to let's see what happens. So without even telling my wife, I submitted my application for law school and I forgot about it. I literally like I did the application, I submitted it and I was like, all right, whatever. Fast forward about a month and a half, there's a restructure at Best Buy. Keep in mind, I'm 11 years in, I'm like, I'm here for a long time, I'm here for the long <laughs> haul, I'm eventually gonna become, you know, I could get my own store, general manager, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there's a restructure and my general manager says, look, we have two manager positions, you and this girl that was like a co-manager with me. Unfortunately, we're gonna have to cut one of those positions, letting you know that I'm going to keep you and I'm going to get rid of this girl. And I was like, oh man, well, that sucks because she was a single mom. And like, you know, it, it just, you know, it was just unfortunate that, it, it, you know, that, that happened. But I was, I was happy that I had my job. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was like, thank you so much. Like, I appreciate it. You know, let's, let's do this thing and let's, you know, be successful with, you know, with less people, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge believer in, in, you know, kind of, I don't know, it's like serendipity and like that whole, you know, like, yeah. but it's kind of crazy. The next day I get my law school acceptance letter. Oh, wow. Literally the next day. When California she, Western. When she offered me, you know, to keep me and, and get rid of her, I get the acceptance letter. And like, I literally opened it up and like my my blood just went cold like i wasn't like it wasn't like an <laughs> exciting thing i was terrified i was terrified because it almost put my feet to the fire and it said it's a decision it's time right now or never hmm. right because it was it was during that transition where i could have said hey you know what general manager swap me keep her give me the severance package because i've been there for 11 years i would get a big severance package and then I could go to law school. Mm -hmm. And so literally that next day, I like, my wife came home. I think at that point she was already working as an attorney. Uh, you know, I sat her down and I said, look, this is a huge risk. I can't work. You know that, right? You, yeah. You've gone through law school. You can't work your first year. I'd have to, we'd have to live on student loans. I mean, I have the tattoo shop. The tattoo shop's doing well. You know, it's, it's making some money, but not enough to like survive. I'd still have to take out loans. And um, what do I do? And my wife's like, if you feel like that's what you want to do, then do it. And I said, all right, I'm going to do it. Literally like that. It was probably like wow. a 12 hour difference from when I got the acceptance to when I said, all right, I'm going to do it. Kind of same thing with the tattoo shop, right? Yeah. Where it was just like, oh, you'll give me a space. Let's do it. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Jump on the opportunity, right? Yeah. Same thing happened. I got the acceptance and I was like, I'm going to do it. So the next day I went in, talked to my general manager. She was, you know, she was bummed out and, but I, it almost, I almost felt good about it. Not only for myself, for my family, but 
you know, for, for that other, for my coworkers family, you know, cause yeah. she got to keep her job and, you know, I think it just, that whole situation just worked out and, and then I started law school and that's where I met you right during that yep. summer, summer enrichment program, 2014 baby. Yeah. And here we are now. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just such now thinking back on it, you know, even now, right now, as we're doing this podcast, like here together, you know, me trying to think back of you know this journey that that led us like literally here to this point right yeah. now it's 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 crazy and it's it's amazing that you know this little eight-year-old immigrant little boy that didn't speak any english that had to like hustle his way through you know through through all this you know figure out a way through you know to get through it while working full-time you know, and then even going to law school, you I mean, you remember it? Yeah. My first year of law school, I had my second daughter. So like even that, you know, did, you know, pressure's two, on again. Two right. kids, but to think now that you know we're here and doing honestly what I'm passionate about because of my my music background, because of my you know tattoo background, obviously with dealing with artists, yeah, with you know just my entrepreneurial background, like. I, I, we get to service all these clients that are basically me, you know, and people of color too. Like that, that just, I get super excited when clients come to us and they tell us about their project and it just like puts me right back into that, that sense of like getting it done and like really excited about, about the possibilities, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's an incredible story. And that's why I just, I just asked Gabe to share that with you all because you know, it's, there's a couple of things I want to touch on. You know, the first thing is basically the the difference in starting a business back then and starting a business now, right? right. Um, you know, especially if it's brick and mortar. There's just so it's just such a heavy lift, right? You most likely probably need a loan. You need some type of financial injection to make sure that you can buy everything yeah. you need, right? Inventory, right. rental space, right? Yeah. You got to pay employees if you're going to need employees on the job, right? So. Yeah. There's usually that hurdle. And then, you know, you fast forward to now where, you know, especially after the pandemic where a lot of businesses are just virtual, right? You could have a website, you could have funnels, you could have a lot of different things is taken care of without spending a dime, right? Right. Like you can get a calendaring system, you can get a lot of no-code solutions to help you basically put together a business in a matter of no time, really, without spending a dime actually and it's just insane to me especially if it's a service-based business too online right you just need you get a calendar you have a website you tell people to book call with you you're good to go it's just crazy right and i think the opportunity now if you want to start a business is just like once again a lot easier of a lift and you know sometimes it just comes down to exactly what you said sometimes just gotta just gotta do it you gotta take action you gotta take that first step and then another thing is just you know as you were mentioning in your story you know the passion behind you know, what you're doing now, right? Like we wouldn't be here, you know, in your garage, in your house, you know, in this little studio we put together, if you didn't take all those steps, you know, going to Best Buy, going to law school, us meeting, just wouldn't happen, right? So it's just funny how that all lines up. But one thing I feel like you missed out on your story is just going back to that Star Wars, that Star Wars passion, right? And just like another aspect of your life and how another passion of your life basically ties in directly to what we're doing. So yeah, tell us a little bit about like, I don't know, just that that passion for Star Wars, right? Yeah. It obviously had a huge impact on your life, more so than most people growing up in your generation. So yeah, I know, you know, when we met in law school, just basically picking up back from your stories, it's like, 
you know, you were showing me like an R2-D2 you were building yeah, and some yeah. of the, the recent collectible uh, replicas you just bought. So Yeah, no, I mean, I think that was the craziest part too, is that kind of that full circle, right? right? Really thinking about that full circle, because again, and that's why I kind of started this whole story of, with that passion for Star Wars and, you know, what Star Wars meant to me as a kid, because I was always a fan and I was a collector, right? And in my adult life, once I started getting some form of disposable income, whether it be from the tattoo shop or when I became an attorney, I started buying these prop replicas. And these prop replicas are basically made from the companies that go into the Lucasfilm archives and they either digitally scan the original one or they use the original molds to make these prop replicas. So I started collecting them and they're you're like, they're not cheap, you know, they're, they're you know, they're, they're high-end collectibles. Yeah, legitimate um, replicas from the movies. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So what ended up happening is that around 2016, when we were in law school, I started realizing that there wasn't a lot of references out there on these pieces. And a lot of people were buying them in the aftermarket because what happens is they sell out immediately, right? So as soon as you, you put in the, or the, the pre-order comes out, people jump online and immediately scoop up all of them, right? Yeah. So you, the only way you were able to buy them is on the secondary market, but there wasn't a lot of reference about what comes in the box. Huh? So what I started doing is I started unboxing stuff on video. So I started a YouTube channel where on, on YouTube, I'd get these high-end pieces and I'd unbox them and I'd show them to people and kind of just talk about them and, you know, just so people knew what was in the box. Well, that channel ended up kind of doing well and you know I, I would only post like once every couple months you know because obviously as i was getting these pieces i would post a new video so fast forward to you know the pandemic right yeah so right before the pandemic we got this house and there's a, a room specifically that I, I dedicated to the star wars room and i will show it right here how you guys could see but you know now it's behind this secret secret door and obviously you could see you know i set it up kind of like a museum yeah well during the shutdown i started going on TikTok and on instagram a lot more and i started posting some of these these things again started doing more youtube videos educational videos about them i started comparing things and just kind of became a content creator, right? Yeah. For this small collecting community. And it kind of took off. And that was that was surprising because like on TikTok, all of a sudden it was like, you know, I had 20,000 followers and then 50,000 followers and then 100,000 followers. And then it was like 200,000 followers, 300, 400,000. And it was just like, it kept on snowballing. And I was like, whoa, there's, a, there's an audience for yeah. this. So I started taking it more seriously and I got a professional camera to do, you know, the reviews and I really started putting some more time into that. And my dream came true because I started partnering up with Lucasfilm on a lot of little projects to promote some of their stuff. So I ended up getting my own panel at the Star Wars convention, which is called Star Wars Celebration. I got my own panel for that, which is crazy, right? Especially thinking about that eight-year-old kid. And not only that, but I was also a guest on the Lucasfilm panel for the, you know, and I got to tell my immigrant story and how it ties into Star Wars. And now I have all these partnerships with all of these licensed companies that, you know, will either send me free stuff or someone will pay me for, for promotions. Yeah. And I get to, you know, do my hobby 
and at the same time you know be able to work with all these these cool companies that i would have probably bought regardless you know yeah uh, so that's how i became and then i became i got on the disney lucasfilm influencer list so yeah sometimes i'll just get literally emails that says hey gabe i got your contact from the lucasfilm rep would you like to work with us on this promotion i'm like wait what, what? <laughs> is going on like this is crazy so yeah it's i've i've definitely wear a lot of hats right especially now these days you know i still have the tattoo shop you know social media influencer i guess that i hate using <laughs> that word but that's unfortunate that's it is what it is you know obviously i have three girls right my mm -hmm. three daughters um, you know husband and obviously you know with inflow right like yeah. we, we have inflow going so i think i never that's that change that i was talking about it really became a lifestyle change when i decided that i wasn't gonna let my day off you know my two days off just be wasted and i think that was a big switch in in my mentality that imagine i could do that in my two days off right I opened up a tattoo shop on my two days. I went to college on my two days off. Yeah. I opened up a tattoo shop on my day, two days off. I'm like, imagine if I would have had all seven days, right? Like, man, what could I have done? But it's kind of interesting to, to see that, that you could accomplish a lot. And even just waking up a couple hours early, getting some work done there, you could accomplish so much on your free time. If you really focus and really don't look at it as free time, you know, mm -hmm. looking at it as like, how can I best utilize this time to better myself, to better my situation, to better my business, to better, you know? Yeah. Just, and you know, we have a lot of potential clients who reach out to us or people who follow our Instagram or, you know, yeah. our social media channels who, who reach out to us and say, I don't know if I'm ready to start a business yet, or I, I have an idea and I, I have a passion I want to follow, but yeah. I don't know if I can you know, just quit my job and follow it. And it's like, you don't have to, you know, quit your job. You know, if we always say like, hey, if you have a job right now and you're comfortable, like, you know, getting your work done and you have time, like when you get home from work or on your days off, like put a couple hours in and just like maybe learn what the next steps are in launching your own business. Because once again, it's not, you know, if most likely if you're opening a business, it's probably going to be mostly virtual. It's going to be online or at least we suggest starting off, right? If you eventually want to do a brick and mortar one day, you could probably put that off down the road if you want. So you can at least get started with an Start. online business. Yeah. And that's fairly easy to get started on. Once again, pretty low, pretty low lift to just like yeah. doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, you know, demystifying the fact that it's not as tough as you may think it is. Right. And you can just get started while still making your money right. as, you know, being a full-time employee, yeah. you know, trying to find that time. And, you know, we're not saying like dedicate all your time to a side hustle no. or like, hustling really hard just to like you know build your own business one day right. but hey if this is something you're into and something like yeah. that you're passionate about especially if you know that eventually it'll give you your ability yeah. to set your own schedule work when you want to work yeah. you know and work for yourself be your own boss right i feel like that's a huge thing at the end of the day that's a big reward if you're able to pull it off 100%. Um, and yeah it's just like being able to you know, go back to the fact that, you know, what we're doing now, advising a bunch of business owners, mm -hmm. a bunch of content creators, yeah. Gabe provides so much incredible insight to people, to any client who basically walks in the door, right? You know, Gabe's 
owned brick and mortar business. He's, you know, also a content creator. He knows the pains. He knows some of the obstacles that are in the way of a lot of our clients just firsthand, right? So I think that gives us a little bit of, you know, differentiates us a lot from other lawyers out there who, you know, for the most part are just, you know, probably lawyers at the end of the day. And we're not saying, you're not discounting other lawyers, not having other lives and stuff like that, or like other parts of their lives, but just being able to kind of incorporate that and, you know, kind of, you know, really tell our clients like, hey, we've been in your shoes before. We understand like what you're going through. We understand like if you're a single parent or if you're a parent and you're a business owner and a full-time employee, we understand what that looks like. So I think that Gabe just, you know, provides so much insight and background on that for our clients. That's probably valuable in itself, regardless of the legal information we provide. Right. And I think it's, it's that, right. It's figuring out, right. Prioritizing your time and the hats that you're wearing, right? Because yes, I, I do wear so many hats, and but it, I never use it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. All I do is I prioritize the hat that I'm wearing at that time and kind of deprioritize the other ones, right? Yeah. And it's always gonna change. You know, sometimes, you know, if, if we're going through a, a tough time in our family, guess what? My family man hat's gonna, is gonna take over and everything's gonna be secondary, right? Sometimes, you know, it, we have some something going on, uh, you know, I don't know, with, with the content creation, right? Like yeah. the time with the conventions and stuff. Like yeah. I, I put my content creator hat on kind of as a priority because that's just kind of what I have to focus on at that time. And I think that that's crucial for any, you know, how, what do they call now? Multi-passionate, yeah. multi-passionate entrepreneurs because we do wear a lot of hats and sometimes you have to be your own architect. And sometimes you have to be your own, you know, whatever, your own builder and your own painter. Your own bookkeeper. Your own bookkeeper. And don't ever let that be an excuse, right? And I think if if anything, I can provide, you know, any helpful guidance or anything is don't make excuses, right? I mean, I tell that to all my my kids and my, my siblings if I can do it, anybody can, you know, as long if you're making excuses to not do something, you yourself are your own worst enemy. Yeah. And well, it's, a lot of people are just staying in their own way, right? right? Whether it's making excuses or just fear, right? Just like their own anxieties. Huge. So, yeah. you know, we are the only ones usually stopping ourselves, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, we, we let the criticisms of other people influence that, right? right. For right. example, if you let the, the guy from the Chamber of Commerce and, yeah. you know, when you went to go seek advice, you know, discourage you, that could have been the end of it. That could have been. Right? We wouldn't be here today. Oh, 100%. That, yeah. And, and I, I did go home that day and I really was like, oh, man, I, you know, this old guy who's been in business forever is telling me that I'm going to fail. Like, maybe I am going to fail. You know, so, yeah, absolutely. It, remember in law school, we used to talk about, remember that Arnold Schwarzenegger speech? Do you remember that? Like, when our first year we talked about it, I was like, the naysayers, right? There was this- Oh, I have, so, to go, I have to go back and look at that. Yeah, so Arnold made this speech, I, I think it was at, at some type of university. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously he tells, you know, an, an immigrant story kind of, which resonated with me. But I think one of the biggest things for that he mentioned on there is, you know, don't listen to the naysayers, right? Yeah. Like there's always gonna be people telling you you can't do it, including yourself. Don't listen to them, you could do it. You could absolutely do it. What's the worst that can happen, right? Like nothing, right? It's, yeah. At the end of the day, whatever. It's, it, maybe it's just money, right? Like that you're, you're losing, but 
you have your health and you have your family and you have you know what's important why not take chances right and yeah you don't know what's on the other side of that yeah. right you know you know we are attorneys and we always have to assess risk right yeah. and we can always say that given the the economy we're in given the yeah. the basically the unfair advantages that a lot of people in different classes kind of face yeah. from minorities face the only way sometimes out of that is to just take those risks that you know, sometimes might be a little bit more detrimental for people in our situations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we don't, then, you know, we, we are stuck. And that's yeah. the unfortunate truth because no one, yeah. we can't rely on the government to lift us up. We can't rely yeah. on anyone else to lift us up. And I, you know, we just kind of saw that firsthand, whether it was you, your first, you know, you yourself, but, you know, my mom was a business owner, right? right? My sister was a business owner. Yeah. We understood that, like, it was very clear that, you know, working a nine to five job because kind of like sometimes going to be a dead end because in a lot of situations, a lot of workers face a situation where there's just only so far you can move up. Right. And right. just the fact that you, you are sometimes disposable to these multinational corporations yeah. that don't really have a soul at the end of the day. So yeah, so we're, we're huge on that. And just going back to the multi-passionate part, that's kind of the fun part, right? Yeah. Like just being able to, you know, take your skill set and, you know, if you work for a certain, like, for example, us in a firm, we'd be just be applying that same skill set every day, day in, day out, right? We'd yeah. be looking at contracts, we'd be negotiating contracts, not much else going on right there, right? Like that'd be it. Yeah. But now we get to, yes, we look at contracts, we, you know, redline contracts and agreements, but at the same time, we also get to do things like this. We yeah. get to make funny, you know, social media posts. We get yeah. to look and think about what our brand's gonna be like. Yeah. We get to figure, you know, actually have conversations with, other creators out there and yeah. like just share ideas and you know kind of being a part of something bigger than just showing up to a job every day right and i that's my favorite part honestly like the the way like we built this model out where we're able to communicate with our clients freely which is is rare right for the legal industry because we're not doing billable hours so we're not charging our clients for phone calls for emails for communications i love that like we just had an hour-long conversation today with a couple of our clients where we're not even talking about legal stuff we're talking about business we're talking about you know what you're doing on your time off like it's that's the best part and i think the people aspect of it and the community aspect of it is really kind of where you know our our law firm is is, is centered around right is, is the community part of it so yeah it's a huge core value of ours but yeah. but yeah thank you gabe for just sharing your your story with us in the audience yeah. you know I, I think once again just truly inspiring just knowing that you know if anyone's out there who have any doubts about you know taking that next step and oh, just yeah. you know being about that option, like that action not that option but that yeah. action right yeah. there is no other option there's only yeah. about that action so yeah uh, one last question. Don't want to put you yeah. on the spot here, no, but if you could put anything on a billboard, a saying, what would it be to inspire others or just in general? Dang. What do you think that might be? You know, what's funny. I think for me, what's, what's been kind of the most influential saying for me doesn't belong to me. It's trademarked already. And it's trademarked to Nike. Because that slogan, just do it, I think for me has been crucial. And I think for most businesses, it, it, you should take that approach a lot of times. Because if you overthink things, if you sit there, because you could easily talk yourself out of 
anything, right? You could talk yourself out of not starting your business, not launching the podcast, not doing this because of this and that. Just do it. That's it. Yeah. Just, set, a, set a date. That's it. And, and, and commit to it. Put it out in the universe. Say it out loud. Tell a bunch of your friends. Tell a bunch of your family because that'll hold you accountable mm -hmm. for not doing it. And then, you know, trademark, you know, <laughs> infringement here by Nike. Just do it. <laughs> like, literally. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah, put yourself on the hook, right? I'm There's sure. no better place to be than on the hook, right? Yeah. Especially if you're someone like myself who, you know, if, I'm a procrastinator by nature. If like I have time to give myself, if there's no date that I need to have anything done by, I'll probably let it let it cruise yeah. and let it like just chill. You know, I'm a, I'm a Pisces, right? Yeah. Like I just go with the flow and like, you know, I think when we were launching Inflow, that was the biggest thing, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. I went to Gabe and you know we talked about launching Inflow for years yeah. before we actually did it, and it just got to the point where Gabe's like, you know what? Let's just set a date. You know, March 9th. Here we go. We're 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 launching Inflow on this date. We have a month and a half. We got to do whatever we need to do to put this out into the universe. And yeah. we did. You know, we put ourselves on the hook. And who knows? We probably would still be batting around, like batting <laughs> around the idea of starting a, a, a law firm like this. Yeah. But uh, sometimes it just takes time to, like, once again, you know, just do it. Put yourself on the hook. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it sounds yeah. like there's a lot of pressure in that situation, but um, it's where you want to yeah. be if you it actually want to get things done. It so. is. It is. Same thing like this podcast. I think yeah. it's another like we've been talking about it and talking about it and setting it up and now we gotta do this and just do it. Like yeah. just just talk about you know what we are and what we're about and I Yeah. Think, It'll never be perfect. Yeah. You know, just it's gonna be your first like it's gonna be your first time. It's not gonna be yeah. perfect. You just do it and you are able to have you have data at that point. Yeah. You can go back and look at, you know, what your first day of sales looked like, yeah. what your first month of having your business look like what your first podcast episode look like and yeah. that's exactly what we're doing now so exactly once again gabe thanks for just sharing that story it was a great way to kick off our first podcast episode ever and looking forward to doing many more like yeah. these and exploring the stories of other creators out there wow. who went ahead and just did it so well i'm looking forward to interviewing you on the next one to kind of so people get to know you and how freaking amazing you are man i'm telling you like <laughs> You, you, oh, you're you, making me blush now. Nah, man. Nah, you, you, you inspire me to day to day. So yeah, I can't wait to, to do that. And we'll do that on the, the next episode. Awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. This is Ray and Gabe, yeah. co-founders in Flow Law Group, and we're signing out. See you guys. Thanks for listening.